We welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Take the Word of God, please, with me, and let's turn to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 14. We'll begin our reading in verse number 1. As always, I want to express my gratitude to the pastor for the privilege of filling the pulpit in his absence, and we're praying for him and his family to be returned to us very quickly and safely. Looking forward to him being back in the pulpit. If you're visiting with us today, uh, let me remind you that uh, we'd love to have you come back when our pastor is here. I know he'd love to meet you, and you'll be blessed by his preaching ministry. First Samuel chapter number 14, and verse number 1, the Word of God says, <clears throat> Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan the son of Saul said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. And Ahiah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over unto the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Senna. The forefront of the one was situated northward over against Michmash, and the other southward over against Gibeah. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart, turn thee. Behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. If they say thus unto us, Tarry until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up unto them. But if they say thus, Come up unto us, then we will go up, for the Lord hath delivered them into our hand, and this shall be a sign unto us. And both of them discovered themselves unto the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they have hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor-bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said unto his armor-bearer, Come up after me. For the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet, and his armor-bearer after them. And they fell before Jonathan, and his armor-bearer slew after him. And that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor-bearer made was about twenty men within, as it were, a half-acre of land which a yoke of oxen might plow. And there was trembling in the host, in the field, and among all the people, the garrison and the spoilers. They also trembled, and the earth quaked. So it was a very great trembling. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, I'll bring your attention to the end of verse number 6, where Jonathan makes this statement, there is no restraint to the Lord. 
Isn't that a great statement to make? There is no restraint to the Lord. Jesus said in Mark's gospel in chapter number 10, he said to his followers, to his disciples, he said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter in the kingdom of heaven. And they said, well, how can this be? Who then can be saved? And Jesus makes this wonderful statement. He said, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You have this great question that is posed in the book of Genesis, and that is this. Is anything too hard for God? And as God's people, we know the answer to this question. The answer is no, there's nothing too hard for God. And we rejoice in the fact that nothing is too hard for our God. We rejoice in the fact that with God all things are possible. But here's the question. If all things are possible with God, and if there's nothing too hard for Him, then why are we not accomplishing more than we are? See, no sincere Christian is ever to the point of satisfaction in their service to God. No Christian person who's truly desiring to do God's work is ever satisfied for the, with the work that they are accomplishing. And so the question is very simply this. If God can do all things, and He can, and if nothing is too hard for God, and it's not, then why are we not doing more? I think we find the answer to that question given to us in the pages of Scripture as we study through one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible, the story of Jonathan and his armor bearer. If you're in the habit of taking notes, perhaps you want to write this down. Number one, a day. A day. This is how the story begins. Now, it came into pass upon a day. If you read through the Old Testament, you find that on a, on a number of occasions, that phrase is thrown in there, that this happened upon a day. And we would say, well, of course it happened on a day. What, how else is it supposed to happen? But what is the Spirit of God trying to teach us? He's trying to teach us that there are no ordinary days. You see, we feel like our life is made up mostly of just mundane and ordinary days. You know, there's Christmas, and there's Thanksgiving, and there's, there's birthdays, and there's anniversaries, and there's, you know, promotion days, and there's, oh, there's all kinds of days throughout our life that we say, well, that's a, a high mark day. That's a day I'm looking forward to. We mark it on our calendar. But most of life is not marked on the calendar. Most of life is viewed as just an ordinary day. But I want you to know something. God has never created an ordinary day, ever. You see, there are three things that are true of every day that you live, and that is this. First of all, it is a day of distinction. May I say to you that October 8th, 2023 will never, ever, ever happen again. So what will you do with it? You see, we like to look at these, at these really big, important days, and we think, wow, what a day. But wait a second, what a day you're living in. It's never going to happen again. Think of the very first day. That was a big day, right? The very first day where God said, let there be light, and there was light. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And we say, wow, that was a day. Can I tell you something? That day is no less distinct than this day. You say, I don't know if I believe that. Okay, why'd God make it? You see, not only is it a day day of distinction, but it is a day of design. That is the second truth of every day that we will live. It is a day of distinction. 
It is distinct. It will never happen again. And it is a day of design. You see, God designed the first day and he designed it for a purpose. I'll say it to you like this. Nobody ever designs something for nothing. Right? Someone sits down at the, at the drawing board and they, they meticulously sketch something out and they measure and they do all this. And then you say, hey, that's really cool. What's it for? I don't know. I just, just made it. <laughs> no, nobody does that. Listen, God doesn't do that either. God does not create a day and then just go, it's there. Don't really have much plan. No, 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 no. There's no ordinary day with God. See, every day that we live is a day of distinction. It is a day of design, but it is also a day of decision. This is why Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. Why didn't he say it? Why did he say it that way? Why didn't Joshua just say, hey, Israel, you need to choose? No, he said, you need to choose this day. Why? Because the next morning when they woke up, they had to choose again. And they had to choose again and then choose again. See, every day that you live is, there's no such thing as an ordinary day with God. He's designed every day. He's given every day distinction, and he's given you and I a choice every day to choose to let him use that day. And so the Bible says, now it came up to pass upon a day. Hey, Joseph, what's so significant about today? I don't know. Probably do the same thing I did yesterday, just sit here in this prison cell, wait for the sun to set. And before he pillowed his head, he was the second most powerful man in the known world. You know why? Because there's no ordinary days with God. Saul, what you doing today? Well, same thing I did yesterday. I'm going to go find some Christians. I'm going to round them up and put them in prison, maybe put something to death. Nothing real special about today. And some angel leans over to another angel and says, he doesn't know it yet, but he's going to meet the risen Christ today. See, every day has significance. Every day, every day is important to God. There's not a single day, by the way. There's not a single day for us to waste. This is why Paul says to the church in Ephesus, redeeming the time because, watch this, the days are evil. God needs some of his people in a world where there, there are evil days to decide, I don't have a single one of these days to waste. And Jonathan said, look, I'm living in evil days, but I'm not going to waste mine. And so he says to his armor bearer, just on a day, I like to imagine it was Thursday, but it doesn't really matter. On a day, he says, let's see what God will do. The very first thing I find is so interesting in this story is God says, I'll just do, by the way, this is what he does. He takes what I call ordinary and he makes it extraordinary. That's who God is, right? So the first thing we see here very simply is a day. The second thing, would you write it down, please? A distraction and a deterrent. A distraction and a deterrent. So he says to his armor bearer, he says, hey, listen, I feel like God can do something today. And so I want to go down here to this Philistine garrison. And they're, they're walking down. And as they do, the Bible records for us under the inspiration of God's spirit, it records for us that they walk past two sharp rocks. Now, these rocks have got to be of some size and some notability. But even at that, what's the purpose in putting the names of rocks in Scripture? He names them. One is Bozes and the other is Senna. Well, these names have meanings. 
Bozes means shining. I said to the, to the, in the service earlier, uh, I discovered something that when I moved to Hickory, North Carolina, when I moved to this, this area, and that is that, that some of the rocks are shiny. I don't know what's, what's inside that aggregate, but it, it's shiny, right? And it's beautiful. And I remember when the first house that we lived in when we, we moved here, they just put some gravel down, and uh, the sun was shining, and the, the angle the sun was shining, the, the rocks were sort of glistening a little bit. And I, I brought that to Heidi's attention. I said, look at these rocks. They're, they're shining almost, you know. And one of the boys asked if it was gold. And I said, well, we can try. I don't know. <laughs> I imagine that that's what this rock was. It, it shined. It glistened in, in the sun. And so it gets, it gets that, it, its name from that. The other's name is Senna, and that word means thorny. It's thorny. I imagine that this rock probably had thorns and thistles all grown up on top of it. So why would God give to us the names of these two rocks? Well, I think it has a a place in this story. And that is because if you and I are ever going to decide on any given day that we want to see something done for God and for His glory, there are two things that we're going to have to deal with. One is distraction, and the other is deterrent. Because we are all so endlessly distracted. And by the way, We're not just distracted with bad things. Pastor Hooks and I were speaking about this just a few weeks ago, sort of in passing. Of course, you know, he's a big Tennessee football guy, and nothing wrong with that. I am too. But uh, I'm a little more excited about Penn State, but you'll have to forgive me. And uh, I'll see you at the altar. (laughs) And he said to me something about, you know, how we just, it's it's a good distraction, but he, he went on to say, but it needs to stay there, a good distraction. You know, there's nothing wrong with watching college football, nothing wrong with watching athletics, nothing wrong with being involved in athletics. I've been involved with athletics most of my life. My children play sports. But you know what's interesting is even even the things that aren't inherently wicked distract us from the ultimate thing, and that is accomplishing something in this world for God. Look, wood, hay, and stubble aren't always wicked, evil sins of the flesh. Wood, hay, and stubble are sometimes just, I'm distracted with good things, but it's not the best thing. And this is a great picture for us that on the way to do something for God, on the way to accomplish God's will in his life, Jonathan had to get by a distraction. But the distraction didn't get him, so here's the next thing that's thrown at him, a deterrent. That's a thorny way to go through, Jonathan. That's a tough way. Jonathan, why don't you just turn back? Why don't you just go through? Uh, how, how many hunters do we have in here? All right. How many hikers? People like to get out in nature and hike? Right. So occasionally as you're walking through the woods, you come upon these patches of, of briars and, and thorns and all that. And sometimes you just sort of think, I can make it through here. And typically about halfway through, you think, this was a terrible idea right? And then you think, I'm going to turn around and go back. That's the worst thing you can do because now they're all wrapped on you, right? So now you can't go forward, you can't go backward, and you just want to sit down and cry for a little bit, but you can't do that because you're an adult. Or maybe you can if no one's looking. Jonathan gets here to this, this, this thorny rock, and, and no doubt it's a deterrent. And rather than turning back around, Jonathan says, no, I'm just going to push through. By the way, this is the lie of the devil, And may I say, especially for Christian young people, but not exclusively for Christian young people, and that is this. If you're going to do anything for God, it's going to be tough. 
It's just going to be, it's going to be boring and laborsome. And oh my goodness, look how difficult that Christian life is. By the way, this is the exact same thing he did to Eve. Eve, look at that fruit. Doesn't that look good, Eve? Mmm, that does look good but I can't have it. Well, why can't you have it, Eve? Well, because God said that the day that I eat thereof, I'm surely going to die. And he goes, oh, that's a restrictive lifestyle, Eve. Eve, do you really want to live for that God? That's a, that sounds like a tough life. And you know what Eve says? I don't want to live that kind of life. No, I want to be free and liberated. I want to have the easy road. I don't want all these restrictions on me. And so she takes the fruit and she eats. Here's what's really interesting to me. Eve was offered this lie of the devil of a distraction and a deterrent. And you and I in 2023 are offered by the devil these two lies of a distraction and a deterrent. And here's the question. Why is the devil using the same old lies? You know what the sad truth is? They still work. Still work. I'm so easily distracted. Look, I've got my mind on everything imaginable almost, except for what can God do in this world? And then if I ever dare to imagine that he can do something, it's like, well, that just sounds like work. Yeah, of course it's work. Nothing worth having is easy. And Jonathan knows that. And so he gets past the distraction and he gets past the deterrent. By the way, let me mention one other thing that's, that's given to us early on that would have been a big distraction and a deterrent for Jonathan. And that is this, his father, the king, napping under a pomegranate tree. May I tell you something? There's always going to be sleeping kings, always. If you and I wait for people who should be doing what they're supposed to do in order to to do that, in order for us to get involved and get active, we're never going to do anything. Who should have have led the way? Saul should have led the way. Look at it. Look, look, Look who he has with him. Verse number two, and Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron, and the people that were with him were 600 men. He's got 600 trained men with him. Besides that, he's got Ahiah. You say, who's that? He's the high priest with the ephod. So he's got 600 soldiers with him. He's the king of Israel. Plus, he's got the spiritual leader with him with the ephod. This is the man who's supposed to go to God and say, Lord, what do we do? Do you want us to go attack the garrison? You know what God would have said? Yeah, I want that garrison attacked. That's my land that I gave to my people. They don't belong there. And sleeping kings can deter us from doing what we think, well, they should be doing it. No, but someone's got to do it. And by the way, it can happen on any day. You know why? Do you know why? Because there's no restraint to the Lord. To save by many, oh, he could have used Saul, or by few. He chose to use the one who chose to follow him. So very simply, we have in our narrative a day, any old day, and then we have a distraction and a deterrent. But Jonathan wasn't going to be wasn't going to be stopped with those things, and so he presses on. And the third thing we see here is this in verse number six: a dream. Jonathan has a dream. I love this. And Jonathan said to the young men that bear his armor, "Come, and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be. It may be." Jonathan says, hey, you know what? This is not a present reality for me. I think God can do something today. It may be. And he has a dream. May I say that we need a church full of people who dream big for God. 
Dream big. I mentioned earlier, but our pastor revealed for us a dream that's in his heart just last week. He stood in this pulpit, and he talked about this building over here, and he said, I can hear a choir singing over there, right? And I can see young people walking those halls over there. And he, what was he doing? He's casting a dream. He's seeing some things. It's not a present reality, but look here. By the grace of God, as we move forward under his leadership, that is going to be a reality. It's a dream right now, but it's something that God has given us to do. And then he asked this question. After he got through dreaming just a little bit, I sat right back there and I was listening. And then he said this, can you see it? And I'll be honest with you. I sat back there and I said, I can see it. It's not my present reality, but God, help that dream not to die within the heart of this church. Do all that you want to do. Do everything that you designed for us to have over there. But Lord, give us a dream. Help us to be dreaming people. By the way, this is not some fanciful thing. This is actual, literal, basic Christianity. It's called faith in God. Jonathan possessed something. The armor bearer possessed something that those 600 men did not have, that Saul did not have, excuse me, that the religious leader did not have. They had faith in God. They said God can do something in this world. And so they dreamed. Hold your place here in 1 Samuel and turn back just a few pages, if you would, to Genesis chapter 37. Let me show you something that's really, really interesting. Joseph is the dreamer, right? He goes to find his brothers and they say, behold, this dreamer cometh. And then they say, you know what we should do? We should kill him. And then we'll, we'll see what will become of his dreams Joseph, this dreamer, look what happens in chapter 37 of Genesis, verse number eight. The Bible says, and his brethren said to him, shalt thou indeed reign over us or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? Watch this. And they hated him yet the more for his dreams. Do you know what I've discovered? Those who dream big for God irritate those who don't. Those who are just, are just crazy enough to believe that the God of the universe can still work in lives of people and can still move in a powerful way, those people, they actually irritate people who are just sort of dead inside. I worked for a number of years uh, in a correctional facility, a juvenile prison. It was a maximum security. It, it housed, it was in Knoxville. It housed inmates from all over the Southeast. And it was, as, as I said, it was a maximum security facility. We, we had to walk through 12 locked doors to get back to the pods where these young people were. And we saw young people come to Christ. Uh, it was an amazing thing. Had a, I got a phone call at work one day and um, it was the, the church secretary at, uh, at Temple Baptist and she said, Dan, do you know? And she called this young man's name. And I thought, do I know? I, you know, Alex? I don't remember Alex. And then it dawned on me, yes, Alex, he was incarcerated. And she said, um, he got out, out of prison today and he lived in Clinton, up in Clinton, North Carolina, or Tennessee. I'll be okay. And she said, he called the church and he got out, it was a Wednesday, he got out of prison this morning 
He wants a ride to church tonight. I said, praise God, I'll be there. I went and picked him up. We, for a year or two, we had a schedule of people who would go pick up Alex and bring him to church. We saw, we saw God do some pretty amazing things with those young people. I got there one Sunday. We were held outside for a few extra minutes. They said, we have a, we have a problem in here. We got a, an issue. Some of the inmates got in a fight. They, were, they had attacked a guard, and it was a, just a, a bad situation. And so we waited just a few more minutes. And then the man who, who usually, this was, the, this was the guard that would walk us back as a big guy. And uh, for years, he would walk us back there every Sunday. We got halfway back through those series of 12 locked doors, and he turned to me and said, you know, I really appreciate what you guys are doing, and I know you believe in it, but the truth of the matter is nothing's going to change these kids. I thought to myself, why would you even say that? Like, what's the purpose? What's the point? And you know what I realized? People who think God can do something irritate who don't, people who don't. Let me encourage you. Don't be that person. Be the person who encourages. Be the person who says, look, you believe God can do that? I'll believe right alongside you, brother. Sister, I'm with you. God can do it. Let's be people who dream and people who dream big for God. By the way, the Bible says, where there is no vision, Proverbs 29, where there is no vision, the people perish. Did you know that everybody perishes there? Everyone perishes. Look, if this church, watch me please, if this church is not a vision church, if this church is not a dreaming church, then the people outside of these four walls, they die. Without the gospel message, they die and go to hell because we had no vision. But watch this, it doesn't, it doesn't stop there. Do you know who else dies with no vision? The people inside these four walls die. And now we're just playing church. Now we're just going through the, the Christian motions because we have no vision. We have no faith in God. We're not believing him for the next step. We're not moving forward. And so we're just gonna us forward and no more. Watch, where there is no vision, where there's no dream, there's death. You say, how big should my dream be? How about this? Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. Can I say it this way? Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or dream for him. Someone has the audacity, the audacity to say, I believe that every person in Hickory, North Carolina can be saved by the gospel message. And you say, that's every person? Let me ask you, can God save every person in Hickory, North Carolina? It's not ridiculous. See, our problem is we're not dreaming big. We're not dreaming exceedingly abundantly. We're, we're, look, and I say we're because I'm putting myself in the conversation. We're happy to ask God for the, for the bottom shelf stuff, for the easy stuff. But here's what he says. He says, I'm, I'm all the way. I'm every shelf guy. I can do everything you want me to, you, you need me to do, right? So we dream big. Let me ask you something. Why did David, as a teenage boy, why did, why, what would cause David to walk into a valley to face a giant? Let me tell you, because he had a dream. He had a dream. He believed something about God. What causes, what causes a young girl, Esther, to walk into the palace of the king, not knowing whether her life would be spared or not, because she had a dream that the people of God would be spared? Why does Elijah build an altar to God and then put a moat around it and, and dump water all over it? Why does he do that? What is the purpose? It's because Elijah had a dream that the people of God would see his power. We're in missions week. 
got missionaries coming in. Jason Holt last, last week. Number of missionaries coming this week. Let me ask you something. What causes a young man, a young woman, to leave their family? To leave everything that they know? To fly halfway around the world and share the gospel message? They have a dream. They got faith in God. Do we? See, God can do anything. There's no restraint to the Lord. Yeah, but let me tell you, we got to start dreaming bigger for God. We got to start expecting more than what we have. A day, a distraction, and a deterrent, and a dream. Let me give you fourthly, verse number eight. Number four is a discovery. A discovery. Look at verse number eight. Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. If they say thus unto us, Tarry until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up unto them. But if they say thus, Come up unto us, then we will go up, for the Lord hath delivered them into our hand, and this shall be a sign unto us. Now watch this. This is actually where the story gets really good. This is where the action begins. Do you know why? Because all the way back here, when Jonathan on just any old day says to his armor bearer, hey, I think God can do something today. And they start walking down this ravine to cross over to the other side and they get past the distraction and they get past the the deterrent and they get down here real close. But watch this. At that point, they can turn around and they can go back. No harm, no foul. No skin in the game yet. But Jonathan says, armor bearer, on the count of three, we're going to stand up and we're going to let them see us right here. That's the point of no return. There's something that I think is underutilized in the Christian life. There's something that that makes us a little bit uncomfortable, and that is accountability. When God does something in our heart, when God speaks to us, he does something in our lives, there's that tendency that we have to sort of just keep it to ourselves. You know why that is? Because as soon as we reveal that, others are going to have an expectation of us. They're going to expect that that what you said, you're going to do. I was sitting in a college chapel years ago, and uh, it was an invitation time. I don't remember who spoke. I don't remember what it was about. I was standing there and with my head bowed, my eyes closed, and I was uh, just sort of standing, li- listening as, as someone was speaking, and people were going forward. I was not going forward. And then I felt someone grab my arm, and I looked over, and it was a man, a young man, and he said, will you go to the altar with me? I said, I'd be happy to. I went to the altar And we knelt down, and here's what he said. God has called me today. He's put a call in my life. I know it. I've known it for a while. And he said, I'm telling you so that if years down the road I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, you can hold me accountable. I'm telling you something. God did a work in his heart that day, but boy, he did something for me. Because how often does God speak to me and I just want to keep it to myself rather than share it with someone? Listen to me, have an accountability person in your life. 
Have someone that you are accountable to. Friendship is a gift from God. I'll say it again. Friendship is a gift from God. And if it's a husband or a wife, if it's a, if it's a sibling, if it's a best friend, I don't know who it is in your life, but you need to have somebody. Jonathan has somebody in his life. Watch this. Somebody way back here. Do you know why I think Jonathan had no problem getting down here and saying to the Philistines, here I am? Here's why. Because all the way back here on the top of the hill, he had an accountability partner. And he said to his armor bearer, hey, armor bearer, I think God could do something today. Let's go over to the other side. Let's go to the Philistine garrison and let's see what God can do. And watch this. When they get over there, he says, wait a second, I already told him what God had done in my heart. I already told him. I've revealed it to him. It's too late now. And so what do they do? Count of three. You ready? I'm ready. You think they were a little bit nervous? I'd imagine they were. I'd imagine they were. Count of three, here we go. One, two, three. And they both stand up and those Philistines see them. They say, hey, look here. The Israelites have come out of their holes. You know, a bunch of rodents digging in the earth, hiding from us. They disdained them. They hated them. Here they are popping up out of their holes. And then what do they say? Come up to us and we'll show you something. And Jonathan said, it's go time. Hey, armor bear, remember what I said a few minutes ago? If they say, wait right there, and we'll come down to you, then we know, no bueno, not good, right? If, we, if they say, get up here, then we know God's delivered them into our hand. And you know what they do? They march right up that hill. The Bible says that they fall before Jonathan, and his armor bearer slays after him. Now, I'm just reading what's in the text. It sounds to me like Jonathan's just knocking them down, and the armor bearer sort of stabbing them as they fall. I don't know how that happened, all right? That seems a little bit too good to be true, but that's what I'm reading. And there's a fifth thing that happens, and we'll be done. Number five, a disturbing. There was a disturbing. Look at verse number 15. And there was trembling in the host in the field. And among all the people, the garrison and the spoilers, they also trembled, watch this, and the earth quaked. So it was a very great trembling. Let me say what Jonathan could do. Jonathan could dream big for God. He could reveal it to his armor bearer. Jonathan could walk down across that ravine. He could stand up and reveal himself in faith to that garrison of Philistines. But let me tell you what Jonathan could not do. He couldn't send an earthquake. Let me tell you something. God is not asking you to do the impossible. God is asking you to believe that he can do the impossible. You see, this is not a story about Jonathan and then at the tail end of the story, God gets in on what Jonathan's doing. It's like God sitting up there in heaven going, man, I don't know what's happening here. And I mean, the Israelites are, you know, being defeated by the Philistines. I got this bum of a king over here sleeping under a tree and I don't know what I'm gonna do. And God's just in a tizzy and he's at, he's at a loss. And all of a sudden over the portals of heaven, God looks down and he sees these two men walking down towards this garrison. And he kind of goes, I wonder if they are, could they possibly Oh, look at there. Look at there. They're revealing themselves. 
I need angels. Let's go help them. That's not how this happened at all. Let me tell you the truth of the matter. This was what God was doing all along, and Jonathan got in on God's work. God did not get in on Jonathan's work. It was always God who wanted that garrison to be defeated. It was always God who wanted his people to be living in in freedom, not captivity. And I want you to know that in our lives and where God has brought us to a church, the purchasing of the Sandy Ridge Shopping Center, that was not our idea. And we're saying, oh God, please get in on our idea. No, that's God's idea. And, and, and a man coming to Hickory, North Carolina over 80 years ago and preaching a revival under a tent, that was not his idea. And then God said, yeah, I think I like that, Mr. Cooper. I'm gonna get in on that. No, 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 no. It was God's idea the whole time. It's God's work. And the starting of a Christian day school, that's God's work. And running bus routes, that's God's work. And bringing in young people through athletics and giving them the truth of the gospel, that's not our design and our program. And now we're saying, hey, God, would you please get in on what we're doing? No, it's what God is doing, and we are getting in on his work. Someone said years ago, find out what God is doing and get involved in that. You'll always be successful. You know what I thought? I want to live a successful life. That's that's the kind of life I want to live, a life that matters. And so this is what Jonathan does. He says, God, I'm going to get in on what you're doing, and then God brings about what only he can bring about, and the ground begins to shake. Do you know what David could not do? He couldn't kill a giant. He could walk into a valley, he can pick up five stones, he can put them in a sling, but David can't kill a giant. That's God's work. Elijah can build an altar. He can build an altar. He cannot send fire from heaven. That's God's work. Esther, what can you do? Well, I can walk in here and I can face the king and I can make my petition, but I can't change his heart. And in every instance, what you find is that it was not a person and God got in on what they were doing, but it was God all along. And some person just said, God, I'm going to get in on what you're doing. Why would you share the gospel? Oh, because I have a hope and a dream, but you can't save a soul. God says, you do what you can and I'll do what you cannot. And this is the story of Jonathan and the armor bearer. Do you know why? Because there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or to save by few. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you and thank you once again for listening.